It's really rewarding to have students take ownership of their health care for their first time in their life and get better and feel better and feel like they were an instrumental part of that and you know be a partner and directive in the process of it. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi, this is Chelsea. This is Olivia. And this is the CWC Talks podcast. So you might be hearing both of our voices in the future on these podcasts. You might have noticed there's some different hosts going on. So both Olivia and myself will be hosting different episodes of this podcast going forward. Sometimes we'll be co-hosting. Sometimes just one of us will be. And sometimes we'll be joined by a lot of different guests. And we're both counselors working at the CWC. And we're super excited to be bringing you today's podcast, which not only celebrates Mental Health Month, but also we talk about psychiatry and taking medication for your mental health and how sometimes that's kind of a difficult decision, you know, whether or not you want to take meds, you know, to, to combat your, your depression or your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there can be a lot of misunderstanding and stigma around taking medication and some ideas of, oh, well, you shouldn't, you know, have to take it or you shouldn't rely on a pill to fix your problem. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people also, I, you know, might not even understand what psychiatry means and the difference between that and seeing a counselor or seeing a psychologist. Um, So I think you'll get a lot of those questions answered in this episode. For sure. And medication works can work really great for a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, you could take it temporarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, I'm going to be on this medication for the rest of my life. Sometimes it could just be a temporary thing to get you through something. But the best course of action is just arming yourself with as much information as you can. And so in this episode, I talked to um, Nicole Karzinski. She's a nurse practitioner over with our Student Healthcare Center Department of Psychiatry. And she's she was really great to talk to. And she just made it really easy. And I can only imagine how easy she makes it for her patients, too. Awesome. I'm really excited to listen to this episode too. Great. I think there's <laughs> more things we can all learn about it. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking my first awareness of medication, like, you know, to help with mental health things was growing up, like seeing commercials on TV. There was always like so many commercials of, you know, take this medicate, you know, for Prozac or whatever it was. And I just remember the whole thing was they would always list so many different side effects. And that almost became a joke, like, oh, you take this medication, get all of these different side effects. So I think it'll be really interesting to hear more from her. And, you know, if you were to talk to a psychiatrist or a provider and just, you know, learn more of the facts and, you know, what makes sense 
you know, and what's the best option for you. Right. And you're right. Sometimes those ads can be kind of scary. And sometimes Mm -hmm. if you even Google stuff, it can be kind of scary, you know, to read about all of the different side effects. But something that a doctor told me one time is if they trial the medication with a hundred people and one person reports one side effect, like their toes turning blue or something like that, they have to include that in the side effects. They have to report that as it could make your toes turn blue, you know, even if it's not related to the medication, but if it is something that was reported during their study, their clinical trial, what have you, Mm. that's something that they always have to report. So just having those side effects listed doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get those side effects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important to know. And just understanding more about what goes into those clinical trials and, you know, understanding the pros and the cons for, you know, each person. And what the implications are too. Mm -hmm. And I love learning. So being able to talk to Nicole about this was great. Yeah. I'm again, I'm really excited to listen to this one. Um, So before we get to the show, Olivia, what is one thing that's making you happy this week? One thing that is making me happy this week is looking at the colors in my office. So, you know, obviously we we spent a lot of time, especially over the past year, you know, sometimes we spend a lot of time in one particular space and a way to kind of brighten up your space is the use of color and it can be interchangeable like with different pillows and different lamps and stuff and so what I have chosen to do with my office now I'm not allowed to paint in here of course but I have teal throw pillows and I have a teal lamp and I have a teal rug and I just love looking at the color teal because it just reminds me of the ocean and we're getting close to summertime and beach time and just lots and lots of fun. So that's what's making me happy. What about you, Chelsea? I am just feeling really excited for summer and being able to make some plans again and the idea of going to the beach or going to the pool and doing all those things that I hadn't been able to do in a while. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. Some vitamin C. Yeah. Vitamin, (laughs) vitamin C. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone. Today, I am talking to Dr. Nicole Karsinski. She is a psychiatric nurse practitioner with the Student Healthcare Center Psychiatry Team here at UF. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you, Olivia. It's nice to be here. Nice to have you. So for our students and for our listeners who may not know what um, the psychiatry team does or what a psychiatric nurse practitioner is, could you tell me a little bit about what you do for our students here at UF? Sure. It's a great question. So nurse practitioners are different than psychiatrists in that 
We typically start with a nursing degree. Um, Sometimes people will go straight through, but we'll start with a nursing degree. Um, I had a master's degree and then went on to get my doctorate degree. And then as a psychiatrist, you will typically go to medical school and they're referred to as a physician. Um, In our department at Student Health Psychiatry, we function very similarly. So depending on who you see, if you see one of us as the nurse practitioners, there's three of us, or if you see one of our physicians, um, you're essentially going to get the same kind of treatment or care from any one of us. And so a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner is somebody who specializes in mental health and prescribes medications specific for mental health needs. Um, We will also do some brief assessment. So if you were to show up and, you know, you were to say, I'm really feeling fatigued all the time, or um, I've gained a lot of weight, and I don't know why, or, you know, things that might overlap into medical, um, we would do some brief assessment too to just say, okay, well, maybe something's going on with your thyroid, or maybe you've got a vitamin deficiency, you know, so there are a few things that we would pick up on. For the most part, though, we would refer you to, you know, your primary care doctor to get those things addressed. But, um, you know, we're, we have knowledge in general medical needs so that if, you know, if if you had something that you were experiencing, um, we could look at the big picture. That's the best way of, of saying it. Okay. And so when a student comes into your office, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. How would a student know when they should consider seeing a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner? What are some of the red flags that they should look out for that they think, well, maybe I need to consider taking medication? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to say that when it comes down to it, it is going to be each individual person's choice on whether or not they want to take medication. And coming in to see psychiatry doesn't mean that you have to take the medication that we may recommend. So, you know, sometimes people will just come in and say, you know, I've been feeling this way for a while and I don't really know what's going on. And I just really want kind of like an expert opinion on what is happening. And so we may meet with someone and give them and say, you know, I think you have, I think you do meet criteria for depression, or I think you do have um, PTSD or something, you know, and some people just want that answer. Um, So that's one reason to come in is to just get kind of a a formal diagnosis of what's Mm -hmm. going on. And um, sometimes students need that for say accommodations um, at the DRC, right? You might need to to know what what you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as red flags go, you know, that's also very unique for people. But I like to tell people that we want you to be your best you. And when you start to feel like you're not your best you or normal everyday things are a struggle where people are pointing out that you don't seem like yourself or you don't, you don't feel like yourself. And you may be seeing a therapist and the therapist says, you know, we're not getting the progress that we hoped you'd be getting at this point with just, just talk therapy. So maybe it'd be helpful to see a psychiatrist. 
or if you've got a, a family history that stands out. So if you've got, you know, mom or dad or a sibling with some mental illness that, you know, we know that there's genetic predispositions that can happen. It really comes down to how are you functioning? I think this is my personal opinion. I think it comes down to how you're functioning. And if you feel like you can continue feeling the way you're feeling and feeling like your best self, like your best self. If you're not interested in medicine, our kind of triage nursing staff will say, well, let's not use one of our appointments just to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are genuinely interested or you need a diagnosis and you're you're curious about what treatment might look like for you, then we would definitely be the place for you to come. And, you know, a lot of mental illnesses start to show up in this time frame, particularly, right. you know, your more chronic illness like bipolar disorder or even first time psychotic break or schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see those. We see those things where sometimes the first people that will be the diagnosing of them, you know, that uh, we start to notice those things in our late teens and 20s. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I hope that that answers your question. I know it's vague. It's a vague to, to say, these are the XYZ things you come in for, you know, right. some people will choose to see they don't want to do therapy and they just want to pursue medication or some people may want to do therapy first and not do medicine. The combination is really is really perfect. You know, what we know is we see good outcomes when we do both together too. Mm-hmm. So, so basically like if, if somebody is notices changes in themselves, you know, that they're just not the same, that it's been going on for a little while, because, you know, it can kind of, you know, you could have just a bad day and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go and, and talk to a psychiatrist and get on medication. But if you see it kind of happening over weeks at a time, or if other people are coming to you and saying, you know, are you doing okay? You don't seem like, you know, you're like, if professors are saying you're turning in things late, I notice that you're not as engaged in class. If your parents are saying, hey, you haven't been calling me back lately. Those are some typical things that that we hear um, over at the CWC, like, yeah, my my mom thought it might be a good idea that I come in, you know, because she says, I, I just don't sound like myself lately, you know, mm-hmm. like you said. So those are things, you know, that that students can look out for. And it's also nice to know that students can come in and just wanting to explore that option. It doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, yes, you have to take this medication now that, you know, you meet the criteria for it. So that I think would help students to kind of gain a sense of um, control in the situation, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of control over their own health care and making those decisions themselves. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when a student comes in, and wants to talk about medication and diagnosis. What can they expect? You know, are they going to like go through a checklist of things? Are, you know, we have that typical thought of, you know, they're going to be laying on a couch and you're going to be sitting there with a pen and paper writing and a pipe and all of that stuff. So what does it look like, you know, if a student were to come into your office? Yeah. So I think that it's an interesting question that you say that because 
right now it will look very different because we're not in our offices. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're recording this during the pandemic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you were to walk in the door, you know, it would be like any other waiting room where you check in at the front desk. They tell you to take a seat in the waiting room. Um, I'd come and get you from the waiting room, introduce myself and have you come back into the office. Most, if not all of us have moved to the digital world, if you will, in that we're, we're talking and typing at the same time, or, mm-hmm. or at least doing a little bit of both. Um, I used to handwrite everything and then go back and put it in. And it, it just was so inefficient. And also it, I missed things and it, it really helps me capture things much better. So I always let the student know, you know, while you're talking, um, I'm going to be talking and typing and thankfully I think our students are really well-versed in, in technology that they don't really seem to get upset or worked up about, you know, eye contact being diverted or anything like that. And so each of us has a different style in the way that they do things um, in, in an evaluation, but it's going to be about an hour or so, give or take. And I'll sometimes joke and call it like speed dating in that it's just one-sided in that I get to ask all the questions. And sometimes that I'll say that to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of questions going to come out. But, you know, the goal after all of it is to get to know the person as best as possible so that by the end, we have a good idea of all the things that they're experiencing. And then we can provide recommendations for treatment. I actually really like scales. I think they can be beneficial to help target and narrow down areas of focus. So I typically give a scale that um, assesses depression symptoms as well as anxiety symptoms at the first visit. Um, Sometimes one, a comprehensive one about sleep too. You know, sleep's very important. And so sometimes there'll be scales to fill out. Those have moved digitally too, which is really nice. Um, And so they've, they can do that in Epic before. And Epic is the the, the platform that uh, we use, the mm-hmm. uh, medical record. And then we'll sit and talk for an hour um, and, and ask questions. And it is going to be more specific, I think, than what a student is used to if they've had therapy before. So it's going to be things like, tell me how long you felt depressed for. When's the last time you felt happy? Do you enjoy things? How do you feel like your brain is working? You know, can you focus? Can you retain things? Do you feel foggy? Are you having thoughts about not wanting to be alive? Are you having thoughts about hurting other people? Are you having experiences where you might be seeing or hearing things or worried that your mind's playing tricks on you? Mm -hmm. Um, We'll do a thorough assessment for bipolar disorder. And that's different than primary care in that, you know, if you go to your primary care doctor, they may ask you a few questions, but we're going to really dive in to, to see if that's going on. And that is, I will say in this population, students will come in and be pretty self-aware. Like if you ask those kind of pressing questions about bipolar disorder, they'll be like, oh no, I've got a friend. I'm not like that. Or my mom is, and I think I might be like her, you know, mm-hmm. there's some knowledge and some people don't know anything about it, but right. I find that this age group versus when I was working with kiddos, they just have a sense and they kind of know what might be going on. Mm-hmm. So we'll dive a little bit deeper. We'll we'll get into anxiety, panic, if there's social anxiety. Trauma. So you cover like the broad spectrum yep. of everything. Yep. Okay. Yep. Substance use, abuse, medical history, past medications, uh, and your family history as well. So there's a lot a lot that's covered. Um, And so sometimes that's why I call it speed dating. We have to ask a lot of questions in a short period of time. 
Right. Um, you know, with the family history, um, I wonder if you ever come across some challenges where students will be like, well, I don't know if anybody in my family has been diagnosed because we don't really talk about that stuff. You know, how important is family history when when you're treating someone? So I think it's always important but it's not so important that we put the student in a position where they have to have conversations with their family members that are not comfortable. Okay. So if we can have that information, it can be very valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, Medication um, history in particular. So we'll ask about what a family member has taken or a sibling. Um, And if a family member has done well or done poorly on a medication, that can be indicative of how you're going to do on a medication. So that's Mm -hmm. why it's helpful to kind of know specifics. And I'll ask, I'll say, do you know what mom's taken or could you ask her? And usually right away, a student will be like, I can't do that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, like we're not going to push it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are the, the, it is the challenge of you might have students who just don't have the support of their family or their family doesn't, you know, I'm going to say air quotes, believe in mental health or in psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they can't have these tough conversations with their family because they don't believe that it is a medical issue. You know, it's, it's all in your head or um, culturally it'll depend on, you're supposed to be able to do this on your own um, and not, you know, relying on other people or disclosing your personal business or secrets. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we just support the student where they're at. And if, if we can't get that information, then, then we just do the best that we can with what, with what we have. And, and I will say we have a lot of students who, who don't have those conversations with their parents, who choose not to tell their parents and will keep it private from them mm-hmm. um, and make the decision all on their own. And if you're over 18, you can do that. You know, I, I don't talk to mom and dad and get their permission for anything. You know, you're, they're an adult, they get to make that choice. So it can be challenging, but. And simply because they are a student here at UF doesn't necessarily mean that you know, mom and dad are going to get the records for their diagnosis, for their treatment here. Okay. So they won't get the records. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a protected entity. You'd have this, the student has to sign a release of information for records to be released to anybody. Right. Um, students can sign a release of information if they'd like me to talk to parents or a family member or friend. Um, and I, I do do that. You know, if, if, if someone wants, you know, if they say my mom would like, or dad would like to talk to you about this and, you know, we'll have, we'll have those conversations, but it's not, there's no, that's always the permission of the student. None of that is ever released. Unless in the extreme, you know, very extenuating circumstance in which like a, a, a threat to life is involved, right? Okay. Like if we're worried about severe safety, then we'll say, and, and that is a, I'm going to have to call your mom kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a conversation that's never out of nowhere. Like that, that would always be part of a discussion. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're going to spring it on them. Like if they come in and they say, well, yeah, I do have, you know, some thoughts of of dying sometimes, but I would never do it. You know, Mm -hmm. then it's like you talk a little bit more about it. But if they come in and, and, you know, you're really worried for their safety, you're really, you know, you don't, you would like to see more support involved, right? Then that's when you bring in, you know, somebody else to kind of talk things through. Right. Right. Can, you know, and it's usually like, 
do you think we could let mom or dad know what's going on so they could support you or could they come this weekend Mm -hmm. Um, or a friend or, you know, something like that. So it doesn't have to just be mom or dad, you know, especially if, if, because many of our students come from backgrounds where it's like, okay, you don't go outside the family to talk about these things. This isn't what, how you were raised, you know, this isn't part of our culture. We don't believe in medication. You know, they've been hearing these messages for 18 plus years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the thought of, oh gosh, if I go and I get medication, am I going to have to share that with my parents? That has to be comforting to know that no, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, the only way that parents will find out, and this is explained to them when they, make the appointment is if they use their insurance. And sometimes the insurance will send things like it's called EOB or evidence of benefits, right? Mm-hmm. What'll say like you, your pharmacy may send like an annual report that tells all the prescriptions that were prescribed for you okay. or something like that. So those are the things that are always asked by our support staff about insurance and comfort with insurance and all of those things. So okay. again, that's not, that's not an unknown. Mm-hmm. The student is aware of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice to not have any surprises. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. Especially when it requires such vulnerability. Right. Area. Right. So what is it that you enjoy about working with college students? Hmm. Um, so my, my initial like chuckle about it inside is it came as, as the mom in me initially, <laughs> which showed up for me. So I guess the first part was a little bit selfish. I'll just acknowledge that because I had the chuckle that you guys could audibly hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because there are times when I will have an experience with a student and it'll be like a mental note to myself of like, oh, that's the kind of parent I want to be or mm-hmm. or that's not, I don't, I got to make sure I don't do that with my kids in college because that really upsets XYZ student, right? Like, yes. so there's a little piece of like, I totally, like I'm like. learning from them. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that was my initial chuckle. So that we'll just acknowledge that my, my first response was a little bit on the, the selfish side, but in a more direct way, I really find this group to be so exciting to work with because this coming of age and coming into adulthood is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, And I've had the pleasure of working with a few students for a very long time, you know, who've come in here as like freshmen. And in fact, I just graduated one student who was one of my first students that I I started at here at UF in 2009. Okay. And she did an undergraduate and then a master's and then a PhD. Wow. Um, So so I saw her go through the whole thing and it was amazing. Mm. And I will say it was hard to say goodbye in in the COVID era over a computer, Um, you know? So, so I guess to, you know, circle back, I love the growth that happens. I love to see the changes that can occur. It's really rewarding to have students take ownership of their healthcare, their first, for their first time in their life and get better and feel better and feel like they were an instrumental part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, be a partner and directive in the process of it. And, you know, I always tell people when we, we say goodbye, like it's hard for us too. you know, there is there we've, they've influenced our lives. We've influenced their lives. You know, sometimes it's multiple years that you get to work with somebody mm-hmm. and, 
Yeah. We're so lucky in this field because we get to meet, we get to know things about people that they don't always share with other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like, we're, we're a little bit of a diary to some degree, you know, we get to know, we get to know all the things. And, um, I take that very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, but I could see working in student health in this, with this group of, um, this age group for my entire career. I really could. You know, one of our psychiatrists here has been here like 25 years, I think. Oh my goodness. Um, and that's what she's done. And I, I could see myself doing that. I really do like this population a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of growth during this time, late teens, early twenties, they're experiencing things for the first time and being able to kind of like guide them, like you said, with you know, advocating for their own health care and making decisions and making choices, that's, that's a pretty powerful thing. Because mm-hmm. I know, you know, up until I was, I don't even remember what age, I never called and made my own appointment to go see the doctor, yeah. you know, it was always my parents who did it. And yep. then suddenly, oh, I have to be the one to call. Okay, well, this is new. But we're, you know, on on this side, we understand that we understand how hard it is to pick up the phone and make that call and kind of go through the process of, okay, this is my insurance. These are what my symptoms are. This is my schedule, things like that. So um, yeah, college students are, are very rewarding to work with. I agree. And I think they get an appreciation too. I have students all the time who, you know, reach back out and just check in and say, Hey, I'm, this is what I'm doing or, and a lot of the times they don't realize how good they have it here mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in just, first of all, cost, you know, it's a free service and we, we bill your insurance, but there's no cost, right? So you don't have to pay to, for your therapy um, or you don't pay directly for your psychiatry. Obviously you're paying for it in your student fees, but you know, you're not paying the copay every time. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that students will notice and say, oh man, I've got to pay for it now. You know, that's a cost or, mm-hmm. or it's harder to get in. Um, you know, and granted, we sometimes have a, a wait list to become a new patient, but you know, then we get to see you a little bit more frequently if we need to. We've got um, supports put in place, case managers that are right here. We've got our RN staff who are always answering questions and you know, fielding phone calls. And so, I think we do a really good job of comprehensively taking care of students who are under our care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that model just doesn't exist in lots of other places because of limited resources and finances. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think we're, we're really lucky in that regard. I think the student, even if they don't know to appreciate it while they're here, I think they do for the most part, but even if it's, you know, that they don't know any different, Mm -hmm. once they leave, I think there is that general sense of, oh yeah, like I was well taken care of. Mm-hmm. At least I hope that. I, I hope, hope so too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a group of people who really care about us. Mm-hmm. I know that some students are a little wary of coming to therapy or to a psychiatrist because they're going to get labeled with that diagnosis. They worry about how it's going to affect their future. They worry about, you know, am I going to have to report this when I get a job? You know, if I, you know, go into certain careers, how is that going to affect me? Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Everyone needs support. And sometimes something as simple as a letter can make a difference. 
UFCWC's Letters of Care campaign is a unique way for Gators to connect and receive compassion, support, and understanding from a fellow Gator. Once you submit your request for a letter, it will be anonymously sent to one of the UFCWC's AWARE ambassadors who will write you back a letter of care within five to seven business days. It's your own personal AWARE care bear. Request your letters at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash letters. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier in the conversation about the release of information and that being completely protected. And that is, that remains true. However, depending on the field that you go into, your career may require something of you, right? So I'll give the example, for instance, of law school. So when you uh, are not of law school, of the bar, Um, So once you go through law school and you're applying for the bar, there are some specific questions that you have to answer to to get that application through. Mm -hmm. And they do ask about prior mental health history. And so you will disclose on there if you've had a prior mental health history. And what will happen then is that I'll get um, a letter from them, from the Florida bar, and they'll ask me, you know, the student has disclosed that, or this applicant has disclosed that they, you know, sought treatment with you during XYZ timeframe. Um, and it's a really general question of not just one question, but it's, it's a little bit more detailed than that, but it's asking about, you know, is there anything that would limit the ability of this person to practice law in a safe and or in a safe way? And mm-hmm. so, There is very, very few exception that all of these forms that we'll fill out for careers, another one would be like engineering who has like a defense contract and they need to get some kind of security clearance. So usually an agent will come um, and like an FBI agent will come and ask questions of a, there's a sheet that we have to fill out. And again, it's the same question. Is there anything about this particular person that you're aware of? that would limit their ability to keep secrets or protect the country, Mm -hmm. things like that. Okay. And again, the release of information has to be signed. So Mm -hmm. the student has to disclose to the entity that they had already sought treatment or these specific places wouldn't know. So there's no way your mental health record doesn't follow you unless you report it. If that makes sense, right? If you say I sought treatment here, even if you get Baker acted, there's, there's people that, um, you know, Baker acted is involuntarily committed into the mm-hmm. hospital. People are worried that somehow that's like a legal consequence that's right. on your record or something like an arrest or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, um, it is a, a medical issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a question that people will ask me and, I fill out stuff for security clearances, the Florida or the um, the bar, um, you know, letters that will go to like LSAT, GRE, MCAT, those things that mm-hmm. people will ask, you know, to get accommodations or something. So, right. yeah, the students always involved. The only time there's not always awareness on their part necessarily of, of when it's happening is, is the time frame in which that letter will come out. Right. So they may sign a release of information in January and I don't get contacted until March. 
Okay. Right. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Let's just say. And so I always just call right beforehand and say, Hey, I know I haven't seen you in a while. You know, it's Nicole Karsinski from student health over at UF. Just wanted to ask you to make sure to confirm that this is, and this is, and I always explain, this is what they're asking. And these are the things that do you still consent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a conversation, right? It's right. a conversation. Yeah. Okay. So a, a student's future career choice, you know, what they might want to do, you know, for, you know, the long term, that shouldn't discourage them it from coming in for help. No, not at all. I think that you bring up such a good point by asking that question, because I do think that there is a, um, people think that that is true, that there mm-hmm. is, it follows you, that it can be damning in some way, right? right. And mm-hmm. it, it really isn't. Right. Um, you know, I think it it probably by seeking that treatment when in this time period of your life makes you work through the things that you might need to to be more successful later on in mm-hmm. your life to pursue those things that you want to pursue. So absolutely. I always encourage students like if you've got questions along the way and you're worried, then ask, mm-hmm. you know, say, is this going to be an issue or should I be worried about this? Or, you know, we can always have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was um, applying for licensure, that was to be a counselor. That was one of the questions. Have you been diagnosed with a mental health diagnosis or substance abuse diagnosis? Or have you been treated for, you know, either one of those things? And I remember being a little nervous because I had seen a counselor, you know, Mm -hmm. um, who had diagnosed me with adjustment disorder. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and check. Yes. And I remember having a conversation with my counselor about it. And she was like, I think it's going to be okay. I'll go ahead and I'll write a letter that you can submit for your licensure, but I think you'll be okay. And, you know, so many years later and it's okay, you know, and I think, I think you brought up a good point too, in that seeking the help makes you more successful, makes you a better person in the long run, makes you more effective in the work that you do. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering now if we can transition a little bit. We collected some questions from our aware mental health ambassadors, and I was wondering if you could answer a few of them for us. Sure. I'd love to. Okay. So one question that we have is how can you ask your peers about their mental health without being intrusive? Mm. So it kind of brings me back, I think, to what we first talked about, that general reflection of like, how are you doing? You know, and asking it in that way of like, not just like, hey, how's your day? Or how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. and that like, but the really like purposeful with intentional, intent, right? Making eye contact um, and even saying some things like, I've noticed. XYZ things, right? And you don't seem like yourself. And I'm just wondering if something might be going on. You know, people are very, uh, you pick up on things, but especially when you're very close to people, you know, the way that somebody says hello can sometimes be an indication, right? That right. it's not a great day. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're really close with somebody, it, it you can sometimes point pick up on things about them that maybe they're not even aware of quite yet or able to put words to. And so, you know, I say that very supportive stance of just checking in 
And if you say, you know, I noticed that you're not wanting to go to the gym with us anymore. And when we ask you to hang out, you know, you're, you've been saying no a lot and that seems different than normal or, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. coming up with some things off the top of my head. Sure. But these are valid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say that maybe not trying to put a label on it. Mm-hmm. Are you depressed or right. do you think you might be anxious or, you know, just, just supportive and pointing out some things that you've noticed about. So it's not um, passing judgment or making some kind of hypothesis on what might be going on for them, but just letting you know, you know, letting them know that you're there and you're worried about them, mm-hmm. you know, and then from there, you know, being able to say we have, you know, there's support on campus that if you're interested versus, and of course there's scenarios for everything versus like, you really need to go. you know like just the general and so and sometimes students if they come from one of those families like that you mentioned before where Mm -hmm. it's not talked about you may be one of the first people to even bring up mental health to them Mm -hmm. or the idea something might be unique or different that's going on Mm -hmm. you know so sometimes not um putting on too much pressure too Mm -hmm. might be might be helpful depending on the situation with pandemic being a big part of our lives right now, um, I know that some students have had some difficulty without having that face-to-face interaction. It's like they might, you know, text or talk on the phone or, you know, see people over Zoom a little bit. So I think that that's one of the other questions. You know, what are the best ways for students to look for those signs? of emotional mm. distress when they're, when they aren't seeing them face to face, when they're not feeling that energy from that other person? So it's a really good question. And I'm going to just speak kind of from the, my past experience of a year. And, and I'm sort of putting that disclaimer out there because we don't have like pandemic evidence necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what what does a depressed person look like in the pandemic? That's right. You know, yeah, like, but what I what my experience has been has been, you know, people not going outside, like not leaving their apartments at all. Um, of course, there's some worry about exposure and those sorts of things, but just really being isolative, not responding to texts like mm-hmm. in a timely manner or at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have kind of developed like a, you know, cliche, like new normal of how you're spending time with people or communicating with people. And so now that we're like a year in, you've, you have some kind of ability to determine like, what's the change from baseline, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if you're noticing or someone's talking about not going to class or attending zoom classes or not doing as well in school, you know, another thing that we're seeing more of is, is alcohol and drug use. And so more people are, are at home kind of not doing a whole lot and then resulting in more misuse of substances, mm-hmm. either for partying, but also just for coping. Right. You know, right. so that might be another red flag that you might notice. I, I'd be curious to ask you if you, if you've seen some patterns in what people have been sharing that I haven't mentioned about that. Definitely the alcohol use, you know, they're bored and so they'll drink or, you know, smoke weed or, or whatever. Also too, you know, seeing like if you're doing it over Zoom, you know, if they're blacking out their screen more, 
you know, mm-hmm. if they're not showing video and maybe when they are showing video, it's obvious that their room is a mess. They're not, it's obvious that they're not bathing. They're not taking care of their hygiene, you know, things like that. Because, you know, when, when we're having a tough time, it can be really difficult to get out of bed, to take a shower, to brush your teeth, to comb your hair. You know, sometimes it can, it, that's, that's a real struggle. So seeing things like that have alerted me as a counselor and just as a person, you know, to maybe there's something else going on. I think that's an excellent point. And it also a good reminder to me too, of how much I've enjoyed Zoom psychiatry, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, In that I get to see people's places. Yeah, I normally wouldn't get to do that. Mm -hmm. And I also get to meet their pets. And that's been fun too. That's the best part. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I get to see how important certain aspects or pieces of, I like, you know, parts of their room are to them, or like, I'll have a student show me something on the wall, like, oh, Hey, remember we talked about getting that calendar? Here it is. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, we're just having their cats sit with them and their dogs sit with them. Like that's been fun. I've enjoyed that which I don't get to do if they come in the office. So. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. So one more question from our aware ambassadors. Um, mm-hmm. My friend is worried about starting antidepressants because of the side effects. Mm. The thing is both me and her therapist can see her need to take them. How can I assuage her feelings and fears about weight gain and other side effects and help her take this step toward depression management? Mm. So I will say that, you know, side effects are definitely a concern across the board from patients, not just in the college population, but in general. Weight gain, I think, tends to be one that we see in this population, particularly with women, but men too. Mm -hmm. And I would say that we're pretty honest about what risks are present when it Mm -hmm. comes to. So certain classes of medication are are going to be a little bit more common where you might see an increase in appetite and weight gain and other classes, it's just more neutral. Now, you know, there's always going to be a percent of occurrence of a certain side effect. Um, And so if it's, you know, let's say, you know, dry mouth is another common side effect. Mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee that I'm going to come up with a number 50 to 75%. (laughs) Let's just say that there's no scientific basis behind that, Olivia, but (laughs) like when you first start this one particular medication, you're going to experience that dry Mm -hmm. mouth is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say that, like, it is probably likely that you're going to experience dry mouth for a couple of days and then Mm -hmm. it'll go away, you know, and if it doesn't let me know. Mm -hmm. So I try to be really honest about the, the frequency of particular side effects. And I will say that weight gain can happen, but in our population, I don't see it as being a very pronounced issue at all. Okay. I really don't. And I, and that's for both men and women. And I tell them, you know, it's not that one you're going to take it and a month later, you're going to be 10 pounds up and Mm -hmm. it's going to be dramatic. Like if you start to notice that your appetite might be a little bit more, or you've noticed a change, then we talk about it and we make a med adjustment, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not like you're going to go from you know, a 10 to 20, 30 pound weight gain in a very short period of time. And you're not going to know mm-hmm. it, it'll be clear um, that you're, you're saying, oh, I think I might be doing this. I would say in my time being a nurse practitioner, which is 
you know, almost 15 years now, it's Mm -hmm. that maybe 10 people total. I've changed a medication for the general medications that we're prescribing for most people. That's like mm-hmm. the antidepressant class of medication mm-hmm. where it's really been an issue where it's like weight gain has been like a substantial issue. Okay. So that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of patients in that time period. Oh, so yeah. I like to be honest, like I like to tell people like it, it really isn't. And if it, if there is a side effect that you don't like, like if it makes you feel tired, you know, then we change the medication. So there's, there's always going to be somebody on the spectrum that might experience a medication. I, I never want to disregard it as a concern. I never want to say like, just don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it is, it is something to be mindful of. We want, we want to be thinking about how medication is impacting our bodies, mm-hmm. but again, it, it won't be that it'll happen overnight and you won't have any control. Right. Again, okay. if it does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If you want me to tell you the one of the most common psychiatric side effects of a medication that people are always surprised by is vivid dreams. Really? Vivid dreams. Yes. Everyone talks about the crazy vivid dreams that people will have. Like, <laughs> and it's funny. Like my favorite one is like talking penguins. Like just serious, <gasps> like just yes, like just silly dreams. And you know, occasionally there'll be nightmares and then mm. we have to do something. Those about are it. no fun. But... Those are no fun. Yes. But one of the things that people will come back and say is like, oh, I forgot that you told me about the vivid dreams, but I'm having this now. And I personally enjoy love hearing all about the silliness of them. So, right. Right. Yeah. So I have one more question and this isn't from an ambassador or anything like that, but I'm wondering when you were in college, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think back to, you know, 19, 20 year old Nicole going to college Mm-hmm. Did you ever think that you would be in this role treating these students? No, no. So I, when I was in nursing school, which would have been like 20 here, mm-hmm. and I was here at UF actually. Oh, okay. At that time, I was thinking that I was going to be a pediatric nurse. Mm-hmm. I was going to go into peds. Um, it was, I, I loved children growing up. I worked at a summer camp for kids And, um, I ended up on a rotation that broke my heart in nursing school. It was hemoc, which is hematology oncology. So like cancer for kids. And I came home and I cried every day. Mm. It was terrible. And I almost quit. I almost literally said, I can't do this. And if I don't want to be a psych, I mean, if I don't want to be a peds and pediatric, like, I don't know what else to do. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just kind of like what I have my heart set on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like my mom was just like, just finish the semester out. Like, just, you know, you can do, you can do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll try. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, it was so, it was so hard. Yeah. Um, It was. And it turns out that I had my psych rotation next Mm. and I went in to, it was at Vista, which is, UF Health Psychiatric Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and I loved it. It was wonderful. And I was like, this, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. And I feel so, so glad that I had something that spoke to me during that period of time in my life, because mm-hmm. I think that I could have walked away. And I really loved, I loved nursing. I loved the field of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just didn't know how to define myself if I wasn't going to do pediatrics. And then I, I did psychiatry and I was, I felt really connected to people. It felt like, I just felt really useful mm-hmm. and that it was the right place for me to be. And I, I feel lucky that, that, that came across to me and it just, 
things fell into place for me after that of, of pursuing psychiatry. So no, that 19, 20 year in the cold did not, did not expect that. But when I did get that experience in psychiatry, then I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Got it. You know, and that felt really reassuring. So, and that provides so much hope for so many of us who have this idea in our mind of what we want to be. We go through sometimes from elementary school all the way up through high school. This is what I want to do. And then we kind of get that first experience in college and we realize, uh uh-oh, this this isn't going to fit. Your story gives hope that, okay, but we can always pivot and we can find something that will speak to us, that will fit us that will just be a natural fit. Yeah. And I think to, to just speak to that too, is that when students have that experience now, what comes to mind for me is let's say they, they plan to do like a a professional program or a graduate program, right? So Mm -hmm. they're in their senior year, they're applying and they don't get in anywhere Mm -hmm. or it's they, you know, it's not where they want to get in. And it's like, they hear all the time, like I've, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a failure, those sorts of things. I don't, you know, often share my story, but I think I, I can speak some truth or hope or wisdom maybe into the idea that, that that plan isn't what's happening right now, but there, even though that that's sort of the, the, um, the one way path that you had set for yourself, Mm -hmm. there are other opportunities out there. Like, can we, can we take off the blinders a little bit and like make room for other possibilities? Yeah. And that can be real tough for people, including myself. It was uh, including myself of being that, no, this, I had it all figured out, you Mm -hmm. know, I had it all figured out and now my plan's ruined. And so guiding students is real fun. I think when we can, we can say, okay, but if this isn't what's supposed to happen right now, and it's not, then let's think about what else might feel good, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I like to see, I like to see the pivot. Like you said, the pivot, watching the pivot happen and different aspects of their time with me is really, it's really rewarding. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, sure. for talking with us today. It has been a real pleasure. Yeah. And if, you know, questions come up after the podcast that people listen to it and and have more questions about psychiatry or something that we didn't cover, I'm happy to have those forwarded to me and I can answer them and hopefully um, provide guidance if something else pops up. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.